Welcome into the Fog.net podcast. Scott Chasen alongside Michael Swain, Kansas.247sports.com. And this week, we are back to talk a little KU football. Last week, we hit on some KU basketball recruiting topics. Might get there again next week. But KU football season is right around the corner. I think uh, by the time you're listening to this, it will be two Saturdays away, whatever getting whatever you know is left in, in this first week, and then it'll be that next Saturday, September 1st, 6 p.m., Kansas Memorial Stadium, David Booth, Kansas Memorial Stadium, uh, as the Jayhawks take on Nichols State to start the year and uh, Beatty's fourth season. So today, Michael Swain and I are here to talk you through what we think are the 10 biggest storylines for K-Football in 2018. I've previously compiled a list of those storylines alongside or, or along with some help from Kevin Flaherty, also of 24-7 Sports, and then Swain is going to come in and uh, we'll, we'll talk about each of the 10 topics and then see if he has any that uh, he wants to add to that. So uh, we, we can really jump right into this, and I think the biggest topic, uh, I mean pretty obviously the biggest thing going on with the football team right now is about its head coaching position. This is Year four for David Beatty, uh, expectations were higher going into that third season. Beatty talked the team up going into that third season. Obviously, that didn't come to fruition. I mean, the over-under got bet up to three last year, and I think there were a lot of fans who thought KU could win four or even five games. Obviously, they went only 1-11, and really only competitive in that one game. You could say Kansas State, they were competitive. They weren't competitive against Ohio. They lost that game by 18 points. They scored a touchdown on the last play of the game. Uh, to cut it to 12, but uh, you, you could maybe say they were competitive in one other game, but I mean, for the most part, it was, it was a really disappointing year. So I think the biggest question going into this season is, is what that magic number is. If it's four, if it's five, if it's even six. Uh, so that was my top storyline for KU football going into the season. Uh, Swain, any, any thoughts on, on kind of the magic number or what, you know, if you agree that that is the top storyline? Well, I think, first of all, this has to be the top storyline, especially with Jeff Long now being at KU. And there's now the questions surrounding Beatty's job, if Jeff Long's going to want to bring in his own guy or how he's going to go about with this whole situation. And you've, it's funny you mentioned the over-under last year. I actually was able to – I drove through Las Vegas coming from California out to Lawrence, and my dad and I stopped at in Las Vegas, and we put down a bet on KU under – just I, I couldn't remember what our reasoning was at the time. We just didn't believe in it, um, and it all worked out, which I thought was pretty funny. But I think that Beatty's magic number, I think it's five or more, honestly. I think when you look at the schedule, I think it's going to be really hard for them to get there. You think if you get five wins, you've got you've got to start off 3-0. and You've got to go beat Nickel State, get that away win at Central Michigan, which we'll talk about later. Um, you have to beat Rutgers back at home, and then – You've got really a couple games that maybe you've got a way to Baylor that I would star and say, if you're going to get a road win or try and get to those five wins, you have to beat Baylor at Baylor. And then you also have TCU and Iowa State at home, and you have to win either one of those games to get to five wins. And I think even then, if they can get those two road wins, I think that that would do a a lot of justice in saving Beatty's job, showing that he can get over that hump of getting KU's first road win and I don't know how many years it's been now. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's been about a decade, right? And and 
I, I, I'm kind of with you in the camp that I do think the magic number is five. I think there are ways he could save his job in winning four games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but but I think for the most part, like if David Beatty won five games this year, it would be it would be tricky. I think for for K to look at that and say. Mm, you know, that's, that's not really enough growth. I, I think that's a number that gets him kind of there safely. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about the road game moving forward, but uh, I think, I mean, some have said six, I don't think four is the, is necessarily the right answer because they won two games in the second year and they should have won two more against TCU missing three field goals in the second half and losing by one. And then obviously that game against Iowa state uh, where they led into the fourth quarter. So if they won four games, it would be technically progress, but I don't think it would be that much progress unless they were competitive in like every game. But uh, even then, you're kind of topping out at four year, four wins over a four-year cycle. So uh, yeah, five seems like a good bet, um, I think for sure. We can move on to the quarterback competition now. The second storyline I came up with is who wins the quarterback competition and when. Um, I wrote this in, in a uh, breakdown I did for our site after the last scrimmage, but I think the staff has already decided on its starting quarterback. And I think the, I think there are, you know, your three options are the best quarterback of the three is probably Peyton Bender. The guy, the players want at least the sense I get when you ask them to break down each of the three would be a guy like Carter Stanley, who has, you know, as Evan Fares put it, wide receiver control of the team who, who commands everything, who has respect of everyone. Um, I, I think the staff brought in miles Kendrick, hoping he would come in and, and, win the job with and give them a little bit of a change of pace. But I think his arm is kind of the biggest issue compared to the other two of them. He has other, you know, elite traits that make him better. I think he's the best runner of the three. I think he's the best leader of the three. I think he's the best personality of the three. He's probably the smartest of the three too. And that's not a knock on the other guys, but Kendrick comes off as an incredibly, incredibly well thought out personality. Um, I just tend to think what we saw in the spring uh, wasn't at all impressive. I mean, he was regularly getting picked off on deep balls. So maybe if he's improved, uh, that the staff will feel confident in, in him being the starter. But, you know, uh, the staff is not – David Beatty most recently said he he's leaning in one direction and he wanted to see it proved at the second scrimmage. I don't buy that at all because if you are leaning in one direction after a spring, a summer, and 15 days of fall camp, to throw that away because of a scrimmage – would make no sense. And so I, I do believe the staff knows who it wants to be at starter. The second scrimmage was this last Saturday. And I, I suspect they may name it on the 27th of August, which is uh, Beatty's Hawk Talk show, his first Hawk Talk. But it, it wouldn't shock me if they name it anytime leading up to the season, even if they just tweet it out or if they just don't name it altogether. So when I think when you look at this quarterback competition, I think there's a lot of things that you can kind of look at. If you take this past Thursday's media availability as any indication. I think that I agree with you that it's been cut down to two, at least two, and if not one. If you look at the way that the quarterbacks interact with the media on kind of just a weekly basis throughout the spring and the fall, if you were to rank the guys by energy, Miles Kendrick is always the most energetic. He gives possibly the most thoughtful answers, I would say. Then you have Carter Stanley, who usually gives really good answers, you know, energetic, not as energetic and as passionate, I would say, as Kendrick is. And then at third of all, you have Bender, who's usually very even keel with his answers. But this week it was really different. And you could tell specifically with one guy, and that's Miles Kendrick, that he was not with it. He wasn't giving short, like, 
you know, smart aleck answers. It was, you could tell that just something wasn't right with him. And I asked him about the plays that he had been running with Doug Meacham. And he mentioned the inside zones and the read option that they've been running for him. And that really spoke a lot to me because that means that they're not really planning to throw the ball when he's in. And I think that that does speak to, of course, his biggest weakness, which is throwing the ball, of course. And it says that they're going to try and mitigate that if they were to bring him in for certain packages and use it almost like a wildcat with a guy that can still throw instead of just throwing out a running back or wide receiver where you know they're not going to throw. So, and then when you look at between Bender and Stanley, Bender was his usual, just calm, you know, given the the answers that he usually gives. And Stanley was very energetic. And I think that the thing that separates Bender and Stanley is their leadership. And you said it there with the way, with the Evan Ferris quote, but I think that when you look at last year in the time when this team was at its worst, the two games against Iowa State and TCU, Bender looked just out of it too. He wasn't the one that's grabbing guys by the scruff of their neck, telling them to snap out of it, you know, getting guys, trying to pump them up, get the energy going again. He looked like the worst out of all of them, if I'm being honest, just staring into space on the sideline, not running around, trying to rally the guys around him. And I think that that's definitely one of the strengths of Stanley is that he feels comfortable, I feel like, in that role. And it doesn't feel like he's stretching outside of himself, trying to lead others. I think that he's very much a natural leader. It doesn't sound like he's as good of a leader as a Miles Kendrick is, who it sounds like will now be just more of a cheerleader on the sideline. But I think that Stanley, for his leadership qualities and for, you know, he does struggle throwing the ball. But I think that if you were to take an all around just everything, I think that Stanley is definitely the best option for Beatty. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see who they do end up picking, and uh, because obviously, and when they announce it too, both of those things, um, it's interesting. You, you know, Bender is a di- obviously, like you mentioned, a different kind of leader than the other two, and that you know you don't necessarily have to be uh, the the you know fiery guy, whatever, to to win the job, but you do have to, unless you're going to be elite with enough of the other traits to make up for it, and clearly. You know, I mean, what we've all watched, what we've all seen is that uh, really none of the three have that kind of elite whatever, whether it's, you know, the the perfect arm or, or you know, a, a perfect blend of mobility and an arm, and arm strength or, or whatnot to kind of overcome those shortcomings. So I, I think it's interesting. Me personally, if I were doing it, I, I think I would still roll with Bender just because I think he has the best arm of the three and I think he's the best quarterback of the three. And, and if you truly believe in the offensive line, which – by the way, is our next topic, uh, then, then I think you can actually afford to go with a less mobile guy. But if things break down and things are the same way they were last year, then I would agree that I, I think maybe you give Miles Kendrick a shot and hope he's just different in games than he is in practices. But but it seems very clear to me that the players do seem to uh, seem to at least like Carter Stanley a whole lot. And so moving to the offensive line, our next one, and we'll start to go a little bit more quickly with some of these um, a lot of newcomers on that O-line, Alex Fontana, Kevin Feeder, uh, and obviously uh, Dwayne Wallace too. So, I mean, theoretically all three of those guys could start. I think at least two of them will. Uh, I think Chris Hughes and Andrew Tovey have a good chance uh, at nailing down either guard spot. So that'll be an interesting battle to watch. And looks like Feeder is, has done well to, I guess, earn his way into that right tackle spot if Hakeem Adenishi is going to be on the left side. So, uh, Swain, a quick, quick thought on the, the offensive line, and then we'll move on to the next one. Well, if you want to read a lot more about the offensive line, a shameless plug, I wrote about him last week and especially Alex Fontana, who Miles Kendrick referred to as nasty. 
uh, I think that that was really interesting. And I think that the offensive line, if you take any clues from a tweet that Alex Fontana had yesterday, he just posted a tweet of him under center with Wallace at the right guard and Fetter at right tackle. And you'd assume it would be Tovey and Adeniji on the left side of the line. I think that the line's going to be the the biggest variance on this team. I think that it, it could be a, a okay offensive line, if I'm being honest, if these guys can play up to their potential. But you just don't know about the chemistry trying to build the offensive line over the summer and one fall camp I think could be tough. I think that the first couple of weeks are going to be telling. But I think especially when you get to the end of the season and when those Oklahoma and Texas games come in, I think that those that could be when the offensive line really does kind of step up and show that they show the talent because at that point they'll be far enough in the season that they'll have that chemistry and maybe on those games KU won't get blown out. But I think in general the offensive line is going to be very intriguing to watch this year. I'm going to be watching to make sure and see if they're going to be switching guys around throughout the game or how they're going to be doing that. For sure. Um, Next up, we have our two Louisiana four-stars. Will the four-stars live up to the hype? Uh, Four-star Corey Owen Harris, cornerback for KU football team, expected to kind of start this year. And then you have Anthony Puka-Williams, a four-star running back who uh, won't start at running back, but he will get a few touches there, a few touches in the slot, a few touches all over the field, maybe even in the return game. Uh, Those guys, first of all, credit Tony Hall, uh, K running backs coach and associate head coach for uh, kind of bringing them into KU. Corion Harris was the number 27 ranked cornerback on the class of 2018. Anthony Puka Williams uh, was the number nine overall all purpose back. And I believe they were ranked like 270 something and 270 something like one after the other. So uh, in the nation. So obviously a fantastic, fantastic gets for, for Tony Hall and the KU staff. Uh, I storyline there is just how good will they be? What will their role be? And will they lead to KU landing other recruits from Louisiana? I think that starting off with what you ended with, I think that it does help having these guys come from Louisiana and Corion Harris had talked about how Mike Lee played into his recruitment and being able to talk with Mike and just having the same verbiage as someone that is from Louisiana and that is now living up in Kansas, having that person that he can talk to throughout his recruitment and now being there and someone that he can lean on is very important. I think when you look at the roles that they're going to play this year, I think they're two entirely different roles. I think Corion Harris is crucial to this KU secondary, which we'll talk about in a minute, but I think that he is very important. He's going to start and he's going to be vital in this secondary. I think Puka Williams is going to be less of a key figure in the offense of more of a luxury item that they have. I think that he's going to be able to have a lot of big games, but I think that there's going to be a lot more peaks and valleys with him depending on the matchups just because of his size. And he is still a true freshman. He has time to put on that muscle. So I think that as if you're talking about a long, longer term project, I think Puka Williams fits that build a little bit more than Harris, who's probably going to start right off the bat. But I still think that both of them are going to have pretty good freshman years. They're definitely going to be some struggles throughout it all. But I think that coming out on the other end, I think that people are going to be impressed with both of them. Agree. uh, Agree with you there. Next up, the KU secondary. How good will that KU secondary be? Uh, Obviously a huge weakness in, uh, in the last season, but you know, right away you've heard reports from camps, uh, wrote a story about Ricky Thomas and how he's kind of impressing 
Uh, obviously, Corion Harris, Mike Lee is in for a big year, or should be at least, and he said he wants to get a lot better in coverage. Hassan Defense previously was kind of used just as a corner. The staff feels like they can move him around all over the field and put him in a variety of different places, whether it's free safety, uh, nickelback. Uh, I think KU loves the secondary that it has building right now. Davon Ferguson, Jeremiah McCullough, two other names to look out for. Uh, in addition to like Kyle Mayberry and... There, there are a lot of names right now. I think the staff is trying to figure out who the best names are, but I think this unit has a lot more depth than in, in really in any time in Beatty's tenure. And I think really it'll be, if the secondary is as good as advertised, this defense could be every bit as good as it was in Beatty's second year. And that was a top half of the Big 12 quality de- uh, caliber defense. That defense was really solid. It was just the offense was so uh, disastrous that, you know, oftentimes defense would come up with stop after stop after stop, hold the other team to field goals, and then, you know, two plays later, they're right back on the field doing the same thing again. So uh, that's kind of my thoughts on the KU secondary. Swain, where do you kind of lie with them? Not to be dramatic, but I think this is a make-or-break year for Mike Lee. I think that after his really good freshman year, I think he had a really down year last year, really, as he said, struggled in coverage. He had that head injury that was really scary for a second, and I think that this year is just going to be make or break for him. If he has a really good year, then that's going to help him going into his senior year. He can be able to, you know, possibly look at the draft, which he said he's going to come back regardless for his senior year. But I think things can change depending on the coaching situation. And I think that if he has a good year this year, that can be a stepping stone for next year, a senior year where he could really be dominant. I think that in general, the secondary is going to improve a lot. I think the depth is going to help a ton. You look at Bryce 28 and for instance, he had to play a lot of nickel cornerback last year, which is just not his strength. And I think that adding Corian Harris and these other Juco guys will allow them to move Tornado out of the corners or the nickel corner spot. And they'll be able to move a better cornerback in there who isn't going to get torched by a slot receiver time and time again. I think that for this defense to be not special, but for them to be solid, I think the secondary really does need to step it up. Yeah, and uh, with Mike Lee, if uh, we might have said it on a story or somewhere in a past uh, podcast, but if I haven't, uh, Lee told me even if he's a first-round pick, he feels like he's coming back. But you're right, if the coaching cha- staff changes, uh, obviously that could change too. So next up, will Steven Sims hit his 1,000-yard goal? He's come, sh- he's come up short of of a thousand yard seasons the last two years. That's been a vocal, uh, a public or an out in the open goal of his. Um, I think he's got a great chance to hit it if he stays healthy. And he also has the chance to basically become KU's all time uh, receiving leader. He needs 59 catches for 1,192 yards. And then he will lead KU all time in both receiving receptions and receiving yards. Those are some huge numbers. The catches seems like he, he'll probably get there. I don't know about getting to 1200 yards, uh, but I definitely think he could get to a thousand. And as it is, he's only 300 yards behind Kerry Meyer for second on the all-time list. So he, he's almost certainly going to end his career first in receptions and second in yards. It'll be interesting though to see if he can pass uh, Desmond Briscoe. Yeah, and in my tradition of mentioning things that we're about to talk to in a second, uh, I think that this him reaching a thousand yards is all dependent on what system Beatty decides to use this year. I think it's also dependent on the offensive line and how the protections work and how Carter Stanley or Peyton better throws the ball. There's so many different things that need to happen for this to happen as well. I think that he will get it. I, I, you hope that he can stay healthy for the full season so that he can, because he, if I'm not mistaken, was on pace for it last year before he started dealing with some injuries that he 
played through, and I don't remember if he missed time last year, but he had injuries nonetheless. So if he can stay healthy, I really don't see a reason why not. He's going to be the go-to guy for them. And if they do try and do this ground game where they occasionally try and just hit you over the top, I think that Sims could be a really important piece for the offense, but I think that he's also going to hit that goal that he wants. Yeah, with, with the injury, because you're right, there there were a couple of games where he only appeared on like one offensive series and the rest of the time it was just special teams because he wasn't able to get like separations out of his routes, but they could still use him to like catch punts and things like that. So uh, that that's kind of where the injury slowed him down last year. Uh, next up is K-Football Embrace the Ground Game. Khalil Herbert, Puka Williams, Deron Thompson, and Tom Williams uh, are kind of the, the running backs unit after the injury to Kiseli Flomo. Uh, that's a big injury. KU lost its power back, um, but at the same time, ground game should be, I, I mean, it should be a very viable option for the KU football team, especially if pass blocking like last year continues to kind of be a problem. Uh, I expect this team to run a little bit more. It's interesting. I hadn't thought about that cutting into uh, to Steven Sims' production, but I think that's a great point. I think it very well could. Um, but I expect this overall to be a much more running team. Uh, I think it's been a mistake of the last three years that they haven't tried to slow it down more and limit possessions. Uh, and so I expect them to do that a little bit this year. So the big number for me here is 475. And that's how many carries I think that they need to get to this season for them to be one, a successful offense and two, to really embrace that ground game. And that number, for example, would put them at about 40 rushes per game. And for reference, they had 32 and a half rushes per game last year and that's why i mentioned it taking away from sims's production because that's nine plays you're not running on offense now or that you're not passing on offense so i think that the big thing as i've mentioned in previous podcasts with this running back course it's going to allow khalil herbert to be efficient and for him not to be a high volume back because he did struggle with the injuries last year um if he can be efficient with his carries that he does get and allow you know dom williams and puka williams to get other carries and take the load off of him. I think that going to the ground game could be successful for KU this year. I think that again, it also all depends on the offensive line. For sure. Um, next up two plus NFL draft selections was the question I asked. Uh, obviously Dorrance Armstrong got drafted last year. The Jacks haven't had two players selected in a, in an NFL draft basically since right before David Beatty took over. Uh, but there are a ton of candidates this year. Mike Lee is a candidate, even if he says he's sticking around. Uh, you have Steven Sims, who's probably not going to be an NFL draft pick, but but certainly will probably get a shot at the NFL. Daniel Wise and Joe Deneen, though, are two players who absolutely should be expected to be drafted. Uh, both of them had a decision to make after their uh, junior seasons, respectively redshirt junior for uh uh, Joe Deneen, but both opted to come back. Joe Deneen trying to get better in coverage this year. Daniel Wise wants to improve all around. Uh, if both had gone last year, I think KU would have had at least two players selected in the draft. I think it's possible Deneen would have been an undrafted free agent, but uh, all three of them, all three of them would have gotten a, a chance to sign with a team. I'm interested to see uh, if there are two NFL draft picks on this roster or if there are even people that, you know, we haven't considered right now. Like if Khalil yeah. Herbert has some kind of a massive year, maybe he gets there. Maybe one of the linemen get there. You know, you never know. A lot of things like that. So uh, that that to me is, is it's, it's a bit lower down than some of the other storylines, but it's definitely a storyline. Yeah, if you were to set a Vegas over under for this, I'd put it at two and a half, just because you do have Daniel Wise and Joe Deneen that are most likely going to end up getting drafted. I think that a name that 
I haven't seen floated around there is Alex Fontana just being drafted. I think that him being a center, and if he were to come to this offensive line that was just shambles last year and turn that offensive line around and be the spearhead of it and be the leader and be that quarterback of the offensive line, I think that he could do himself a lot of help trying to make it in the NFL. I definitely agree. I think any of the other offensive linemen could be candidates to get drafted because offensive linemen are, are so hard to project, you know, going into the season on how they're going to perform and what needs certain NFL teams are going to have as well and what they're looking for. So I do think that they're going to get at least two guys drafted. I think maybe three, maybe even four if Mike Lee decides to go, if Beatty does get fired. All right. The number nine storyline. Now, how does the team react, react to Beatty's hot seat status at big 12 media day? Both Joe Deneen and Daniel Wise told me the players feel responsibility uh, for what happens with Beatty's contract. I think the players, I, I don't think Beatty has by any means lost the locker room. I think the players still like him very much. And I think uh, the, in many ways they're going to play for him. So, you know, does that allow them to go kind of over their head? And and you, you've seen they put in a little bit extra work this summer with player-led workouts that uh, Clint Bowen said he hadn't seen anything like it in, in his to that level in his coaching career. Um, you know, does that kind of mentality of saving Coach Beatty, does that, fire the team up and, you know, lead to more production, more wins, anything like that. Uh, I'm very interested to see, you know, how they react to that. And if there's a turning point, if the team starts, you know, one and five or one and six, is there a point where Beatty's message stops resonating? Because that's, that's the other side of the equation, you know, how how do they react positively, but also is there kind of the negative side of that too? So uh, I'll be interested to see how the team reacts to Beatty next year. Uh, to react to his status and, and how they kind of address questions because they will be asked questions, you know, do you, you know, but especially toward the end of the year, if things haven't gone so well, they're going to be asked about Beatty's status and if he should return as a coach and whatnot. And, and I think it'll be very interesting to see, you know, how they kind of handle all of that. Yeah. I think that definitely looking at, I think it could be a rallying cry for the team in general. I think that using it as a fire of saying, Hey, we need to go out here and play for our coach. You know, they're talking about, he needs to get this many wins to keep his job. We're not going to put a win total that we need to win, but we're going to go out there and fight for him. I think that that is going to help at least through the first part of the season, at least non-conference play. But I think if they do get off to a really, really, really rough start and they start one and two or zero and three, which would just be an unmitigated disaster. I think that that's when maybe the baby message can start to falter just a tiny, tiny, tiny bit because I, when you hear the same message for however many years it's been now, four now, of you're struggling and you're losing and you hear the same message, it can help. But I think that at some point that could become toxic and it could hurt the team. I don't necessarily think it'll happen, but I think it's just something to keep your eye on. If there's a slow start, do the guys kind of start to turn if that message isn't resonating with them? For sure. And finally, the number 10 storyline, you kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but the last time KU won a road game was September 12th, 2009 against UTEP. Uh, the last time KU won a road game against a Power 5 team, October 4th, 2008 against Iowa State. KU has lost 46 consecutive road games. It's the longest streak by an FBS team in college football history. Uh, they set that record. Maybe it was the game against Texas last year. I can't remember which one it was that they actually set that record against, but uh, KU hasn't been able to win a road game. They probably will be favored against Central Michigan if they're able to beat Nichols State. Uh, so they'll at least be favored in a road game. You would uh, you would think. I, I don't know how you would ever bet on that given you know the history of this team. But you know at some point KU does need to win a road game, and this would seem a possible year for that to get accomplished. So 
Uh, I'll go out on a limb and say they do win a road game this year. I'm not sure that by itself or that even with three or four wins would be enough to save Beatty's job. However, I I definitely do think there are a couple of good chances, especially playing some of the easier Big 12 teams on the road as well. Uh, So it wouldn't shock me if they won a road game next year. Uh, Thoughts on on kind of the road losing streak and uh, whether or not they will win a road game? I didn't realize it had been that long. If I'm being honest, I thought it had been like four or five years. I didn't realize it had been a decade of losing. So I think that when you look at it, they've got three three chances. They've got at Central Michigan, at Baylor, and at K-State. I think that those are the three games that they have the biggest chance of winning. They're not winning on the road at Oklahoma. They're not winning on the road at Texas Tech. Eh, maybe at Texas yeah, Tech. Yeah, Texas Tech might be maybe. Texas Tech might be down yeah, this year. That could that could be the one if if these other three don't work out. But you're not going to beat West Virginia on the road at least. So I think that it really is we'll go with those four teams. Those four games are the twelve or the ones that they can go out and possibly get that road win. I think that the road win is one of those check marks that is going to help Beatty keep his job. So I think that there's going to be a lot of emphasis on trying to get that road win, especially seeing as how just atrocious they were on the road last year, offensively especially. So I think that I think that I'll go out on a limb too and say they are going to win a road game. I think it is going to be Central Michigan. I think that there's a lot of bad blood from that game last year, just from how bad that game went, from where it's close in the beginning, from what I remember, and then you know tons of picks just give Central Michigan opportunity after opportunity, and they just blow them out in the end. So I think that they will get the Central Michigan win. I think that Baylor and I think you mentioned, I think Texas Tech actually could be close games, but I think that I think Central Michigan's the one. Yeah, Central Michigan is probably their most likely chance at a road win. And and the obviously the team last year, they got picked apart by Central Michigan's offense because of Shane Morris. I think a Michigan transfer in at quarterback. The, the quarterback and wide receivers that picked KU apart are all gone. So again, KU should be the favorite in that game, but it's hard to to pick a team that hasn't won on the road in a decade to win on the road. Uh, Any storylines you feel like we missed uh, before we get out of here? I think who's going to replace Ben Johnson. I think that that is an interesting storyline. I think as Ben Johnson, if I'm not mistaken, had the most receptions out of anyone last year on the team. So I think that that's an interesting storyline just to watch. You've got a couple guys that can fill in there. But I think that there's going to be a lot of focus on the wide receivers more this year than trying to get it to the tight ends. Yeah, that's fair. Definitely led the tight ends in receptions. And I think he was either second or third overall. He might have been third overall uh, behind Sims and maybe Booker or Fairs. I'd have to go back and look at that. But um, uh, no, I think that's that's a good one. Maven Saunders is a tight end transfer from Florida State who's eligible. Obviously, you have James Sosinski, who the staff has talked up, although... Uh, I am a little bit skeptical until I actually see him, you know, on the field just because it's very easy to hype up the guy that was with the basketball team and kind of use that to not necessarily put fans in seats, but but to build some kind of a positive whatever. And so I want to see what, what he actually does first before anointing him anything. But no, I think the tight end spot will be an interesting one to watch. Uh, I think a lot of position battles across the field. I think the second wide receiver, you know, what Dalen Charlotte, mm-hmm. yeah. if that's going to be his breakout year, I think that could be one of them. I think looking at uh, who kind of breaks out on the defensive line, like if a guy like Cody Cole, uh, who, uh, you know, Daniel Wise told me he had been impressing him before an injury, uh, that could be a guy who you hear from and who surprises people, I think. You know, what if what if the, the KU offensive line is a lot better and, and someone like Joe Gilbertson emerges or, you know, all the transfers and, and additions to, to KU that were on the fall roster. So, uh, you know, that's kind of where I'm at. I, I definitely think there are 
a number of great storylines to watch. I think we've kind of hit on all the major ones. Um, and, and if you feel like we've missed any, feel free to let us know on the board. That's going to do it for the Fog.net podcast this week. As always, thanks to Michael Swain for joining me. And thanks for listening. Next week, we will be back. Another Monday podcast. Every Monday, these come out. Sunday night, I will uh, post them to Anchor. Thanks again for listening to the Fog.net podcast. And we will talk to you next week.